You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Well, welcome to the 602 Club. We're so excited to have you, and I'm just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as she is every single week, the one and only, the cowgirl, Christy. Uh, that's Mad Dog to you? I thought you didn't like going by that name. <laughs> that's right. Thank <laughs> you. Oh, man. Well, we are wrapping up the Back to the Future uh, movies, which is super exciting that we, we've made it through all of them and been a really fun series to do, especially since they'd just been re-released and 4K and everything. So I'm so excited to have you all with us. But um, before we dive into the show, quick reminder, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, Please give us a star rating review. We got a brand new review, Christy, um, from hashtag another happy landing, and it says Superman smiles from space upon this podcast. I personally love this show. Matt and Christy are positive and I'm lifting about all fandoms. I love Star Wars, Marvel, Back to the Future, and thanks to you guys, the DC films, especially The Dark Knight. Love you all. Love this show. Christopher Reeve, Brandon Routh, and Henry Cavill all passed their kryptonite approval. Cheers to the 602 Club. Wow, thank you. Oh, that's so genuine and kind. I I really that means a lot to me. Yeah, me too. I mean it uh we just appreciate that, you know, people spend some time and, and give us a review, help people find the show like that because it really does make a difference and uh, to hear uh such glowing reviews is is fantastic, but yeah, I mean, it, it, even when we haven't had as many movies coming out, I think we both had fun just being able to dive back into uh, movie archives, and, and there's so oh, yeah. many great things that, to talk about. Absolutely. And, I mean, thank you, too, to Another Happy Landing for calling out all of the Supermen, because, yeah, I mean, gosh, all of them are awesome, and you know how much Matt and I love Henry Cavill, too. So. Yes, yes. Yeah, we were geeking out earlier today just about uh, his new post about Witcher. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Well, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll be looking forward to that coming out. Of course, uh, you can find us anywhere you get your podcast, though. You don't have to be an Apple podcast. There's Spotify. There's Amazon Music. There's all the different podcatchers out there. So just find the 602 Club. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, though. F- follow the show at the 602 club and we're on instagram at the 602 club tfm so if you're listening to this show and you haven't followed us there please do um we've really been enjoying you know interacting with people uh in that way it's been a lot of fun um and plus you know we use it as an opportunity not only to share what's going on here in the show but you know there's so much movies news coming out so it's a great place to talk about that and tv news and all that kind of stuff so we can keep up with that uh through the 602 club on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trackfm. We've got the listeners-only discussion group over there called the Babel Conference that you can join listeners from all over the world talking about what's going on in here in the network. We're on trek.fm, the website, and then, of course, you can go over to trek.fm slash contact if you would like, and you can send Christy and I an email. So, so many different places to catch up with us, and I can't believe where I talk about this, but, you know, the, the year is winding down, Christy, and uh, we found out that we are actually going to get to cover, like, Wonder Woman this year, uh, because it's yes. going to be coming to theaters, where theaters are open, as well as HBO Max, and so we're excited to have a huge, I mean, a massive, big movie that's going to be coming out, so we are planning on doing that um, when that happens there at the end of December, so... Make sure you subscribe to HBO Max. Uh, they're not a sponsor of the show, but I'm just saying you should be subscribed so you can watch it. And they've got a lot of other cool stuff. So, so Christy, um, this is obviously the end of the Back to the Future films. And uh, one of the most interesting parts about this is that, you know, we we kind of jump into a completely new genre of a Western 
uh, here with this film. And and I would say, honestly, one of the fun things about the series is that um, we get to explore lots of different types of genres uh, in one series, whether it's, you know, time travel movies or science fiction action and and now we go to the old west and so i just wondered for you you know as we're wrapping up this series how does it work for you the fact that we travel back so far in time to the old west and make this kind of the main setting for almost the entire movie uh well i think that this will tell you exactly how i feel about it the fact that i grew up watching mcclintock should tell you how i felt about going into a western so i loved it <laughs> yeah, I totally understand that. You know, I'm also just like you. I grew up not only watching McClintock, but so many of his movies. You know, um, I, uh, I re- I'm legitimately um, adore Westerns. Uh, I grew up on them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for me, it was definitely, a, I think, a really big deal uh, to be able to uh, have this movie, um, you know, turn into a Western was, was a really fun idea for me. And I think it's interesting too, because, um, one of the things watching the behind the scenes extras I noticed is that, you know, the people behind the scenes like Zemeckis and Gail, uh, who's the writer here, uh, they love Westerns as well. And, you know, that that's something that is is something they had grown up with and they really enjoyed uh, as, as kids and, and they wanted to do. Um, and I think I think that that's something that's really special because I feel like it shows in this movie. It shows the fact that they they love Westerns, that, that they want to do a Western. And I think that's really mm-hmm. neat um that that's the case uh because you know um you can you can have an idea of wanting to do something um but i think actually making it like having a passion for it makes a big difference and i i think again uh, it's that passion here that i really get a sense for um and i i think there's just something you know, we had our issues, uh, both of us, with the second movie, but I I just, I'm rambling here, and I'm sorry, but I feel mm-hmm. like that the passion they have for the idea of it being a Western made this movie so much better than their previous attempt. Yeah, and it, I'm glad you brought up behind-the-scenes things, too, because I was surprised to hear that apparently it was Michael J. Fox's idea back when they were filming the original to possibly set part of it in the old West and they kind of put it on the back burner and then ended up using it in this one. So I'm really glad that they decided to come back to that idea. And absolutely. I think that you can tell that they love Westerns and really wanted to make this as realistic looking in the, you know, the places that they filmed it and building either the best looking set piece they could or finding a way to actually have something real and, you know, practical that's working um, and not just, you know, a built set. So it was cool to see that they actually, you know, filmed parts of it in places that would look like the old West. Um, Like when they pan over that first shot of seeing Hill Valley. So I, I think that you see that too, even in the very end, I think that, possibly the best part of the whole movie to me is that train chase at the end, because that's a trademark of great Westerns too, is having some kind of a chase like that. And, you know, with the steam train, it's so cool. Yeah. I think, you know, you mentioned something that I think really stands out to me in this, this movie, um, which is that by doing the Western, uh, you know, they, they had a big, uh, a big challenge on their plate, which is to to create the feel of a Western. Um, and that's mm-hmm. not always easy to do. Um, you know, uh, I think one of the things, um, you know, about Westerns is, is that you really uh, need to, um, you need to have uh, a really good setting. Um, and then the production value of that Western is going to make a big difference on um, wh- how good it looks. Um, and I think that's kind of one of the things that really, you know, stood out to me is how um, how good this the the production value 
of this film is in the fact that, you know, one of the things that they did is they filmed um, this this whole this whole setting um, and they built this whole little town that they use. And I think that's the thing that really stood out to me is just how much time and effort that they put into this and how much they believed in this idea that they would do that. I mean, that's a that's a lot of money to put into like because they built this whole town for them to use and I think to me that's the thing that really stands out is just like you you really kind of put your money where your mouth is. Okay, we're going to do a western, we're going to film it. Um but then not only are we going to do that, but we're also going to Make sure that uh, the place that we film, um, we they we make it feel authentic as possible, you know. Um, and I think mm-hmm. what we came to is the fact that it really does feel like those westerns that we grew up with, you know, with the look and the feel and everything that they put into it. And I, I was just really impressed with um, with that personally. I, you know, and I think uh, for me, you know, having got a chance to watch these in in 4k i was absolutely astounded by just how well the production value of this movie holds up like i did not expect this movie to hold up in the way that it does and the look and the feel because you know i think the other two movies um they look great but this one, because they shoot most of it outside, it's in this set that they've built, it just looks phenomenal. And it still looks like, honestly, for the most part, I don't know if you'd agree with me, but I feel like this movie looks like it's a movie that could have just been made like yesterday, for the most part. Yeah, I think that they do a great job of that with the way that they do um, the filming style, where they said that you know some parts of it were even done with a little bit of a sepia tone to it. Mm-hmm. So it's not too much effects on things it is mostly practical things and so i do think that that it stands up for that reason especially that they you know built the town and didn't use cg or something like that Mm -hmm. to build it out digitally um so yeah i i think that it also just i think it's good that they focused not so much on things that were historical for 1885 that would have been outside of the scope of the story they're telling. Mm-hmm. You know, like a, the brief moment in the beginning where they focused on the joke that there might be Indians there when he gets there and then he, you know, gets there and they are, but it's just kind of a, aside. No, I, I think uh, you're 100% right. You know, um, I, I think one of the things that this does is that that kind of just creates that, that Western movie joke. Um, but then mm-hmm. we don't, that's not, what we're here to focus on. Um, right. You know, uh, we're, we're here to kind of tell the story that we're telling, you know, with these characters specifically. And I think that's what makes it work. Um, and because they know they're not trying to litigate the, the, the validity of, you know, um, how Westerns have portrayed the West, you know, uh, that's, that's not the right. point of this movie. Um, and I think that's it's good for them for not even trying to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And it 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 works in the sense of the storytelling because I think one of the things that it really does is that um, I think the setting of the West also puts Marty as well as Doc in a completely unfamiliar place where neither of them is completely in control of um, their situation. Like there's no comfort level for either of them. Uh, mm-hmm. in this in this place you know in 1955 you know doc is still uh, doc there you know he's just a younger version um you know and and in here you're putting both of them in a place where they're they're not quite familiar with uh so you're you got the fish out of the water stuff to do um as well as just i think placing them uh, not always at ease and i think that's a that's a good that's a good idea for these characters you know with this last movie especially since you know they talk about the idea that this movie is really about trying to make these characters kind of grow some more and so by putting it in the old west in a place where neither of them has familiarity i think it just really works um so mm-hmm. I, all in all i think this was a great choice uh for them to really um, do something different, to be able to have some fun, 
and at the same time, um, you know, just uh, create a, a rip roaring good movie, which is is kind of you know what you want for this final adventure for these characters. And I I would say specifically for myself, coming off of of part two, that's what I want. Yeah, and two that you want some more growth for them. That I think it was a really interesting thing, too, that Zemeckis himself said he felt like the previous movies, they got a little too materialistic, you know, like that Marty's big thing is that he wants the nice car and to take his girlfriend to the lake and stuff, um, but that it wasn't as much about the human interest part of it and like growth as a person or thinking about the people in your life as much as mm-hmm. um, it focused a lot on the stuff. Yeah. And so yeah. this one, he actually wanted to focus on that growth as a person. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think um, it really does just a great job of allowing us um, to, like you said, just focus on character. And, and also, I think, you know, after the second movie, too, I think that this allows us to have fun, but still keep the tension. Mm-hmm. And... um I think that's the thing that's really cool is that it, because that's what you want in this last movie. You really do want some serious tension, I think, to be building, um, you know, with the the characters and with the situation they're in and making it dire and all of those kind of things. That's exactly what you want to have happen. But at the same time, I think you maybe want this to end up in a in a much more quote unquote I would say fun place. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it does, you know, I think that's, that's it by, sh- again, by setting in the West, it gives you the opportunity to, we're going to ramp up a lot of tension, but at the same time, we're going to have a really good time doing it. Uh, and so, and there's lots of good jokes that they make, you know, I mean, with them getting dressed like, uh, this ridiculous, uh, you know, urban cowboy, uh, and coming back, mm-hmm. he's like, who put you in that ridiculous outfit? And it's like, you did, you know? So, um, and going and, and, by Clint Eastwood. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> classic. Uh, or even, you know, kind of dressing like Clint Eastwood does. Uh, you know, he definitely has a Clint Eastwood vibe. So I think all of that just works for the movie. So, yeah. And I, you know, I too, I, I had to add in there, speaking of the West, the saloon guys. Did you recognize the voice of Pat Buttram? Yeah. He's been in a lot of Disney movies. So, yep. Uh, They even said, you know, like uh, most people my age would probably know him best as the sheriff of Nottingham from Disney's Robin Hood. And I said, yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, great stuff, you know. So I I think they did just a good job um, all with all of it. And and so and I mean, gosh, they even shoot in Monument Valley. You know, I mean, classic the classic location. Um, I mean, makes no sense that uh, it would be anywhere near California, Monument Valley, um, but mm-hmm. and, and be close to the town where where he lives. But so beautiful to actually shoot there. I mean, you know, uh, one of the most iconic places in the world for westerns, and especially made famous by John Ford uh, with with the films that he did, and so. Uh, and it just looks beautiful. I mean, the the yeah. the I, I think that's one of the things that really works in this movie too is with the, the western, the cinematography that they use in the movie is just phenomenal. So I really, really love it. I think they did just a, a bang up job here uh, with deciding, hey, let's let's go out with a bang and have a ton of fun with this. So literally with a bang. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, an absolute thing. I shoot out mean, in the street. Well, that and I mean, you're blowing up a train. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. So we, we kind of touched on this a little bit. Uh, but the idea of the fact that this movie is, is really going to be uh, a softening for for doc brown as a character you know his character arc is going to be one you know he he starts off the series very much uh a scientist you know um and i love how you'd put in the notes you know he becomes a scientist because of his love for jules verne so there's kind of those romanticism about that for him right um mm-hmm. and yet at the same time he because of that he's become just quite a very logical and you know, a uh, very, uh, I think, removed person from, like, his feelings. Uh, and this mm-hmm. movie puts that front and center for him um, and makes him really the emotional one of the series, which I think 
is quite phenomenal, actually, because instead of Doc Brown continuing to be this kind of one-dimensional character, we really flesh out the character and make him, in many ways, just a fully-fledged human being. 100%. And, you know, we've talked about before my love specifically for Christopher Lloyd. And I think that it's so cool to see, for one, him as an actor getting his first on-screen kiss, uh, but but also just, um, you know, especially Doc Brown getting to have this other side that you finally see that, you know, there, it is sort of a trait you see a lot in scientists per- portrayed in movies and TV that it's all about the logic and the head and nothing about the heart or that maybe there's some reason that they have stepped away from noticing their feelings and addressing that at all. So it, it also really makes sense that he ends up with a teacher because they have this mutual respect for each other as two interesting minds that want to get to know what each other's all about, but also that they had that common tie of both loving Jules Verne's work. And it's sort of that, you know, click where it wasn't just love at first sight. Yes, they were enamored with each other, but it also grew because they realized, wow, I've found my match. And so I think it was such a nice moment, the two of them bonding while they're looking through the telescope. Yeah, I I think um, that you're absolutely right in that, because I think that their relationship becomes much more about, um, I would say, a mingling of souls. You know, Mm -hmm. like that's what attracts them to each other is is their their common loves. You know, they have a lot of common interests. Um, and they find, uh, you know, the other's curiosity in the world to be very attractive, you know, and I think, you know, that's something that you, you can't replace in a relationship and, you know, I, you're married and I'm married and that's one of the big things that makes a marriage work is that you do have enough common interests that you can share together that continue to bring you together, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and instead of growing apart and, and obviously, as you move forward in life, it it does become about, um, I think, growing um, uh, in a way that um, you continue that process because it, it's not going to be automatic. But I think there's a real beauty um, it, just in that here uh, for where we see Doc Brown going, you know, and again, it, mm-hmm. it changes his character and makes him more human. And I think that's what you want at this point in the film uh, in the film series is you want this character to come alive in a way that he hasn't come alive before. And I do think it's really smart because, you know, in many ways, this movie is just as much about him as it is Marty in that sense. And I think that that's also smart because we've been following, you know, these characters for this long and uh, it's important, I think, to finally get an opportunity to know, you know, who this character is all the way through. Yeah. And exactly what you said, where it's not just a movie about Marty anymore. And not that that was a bad thing, obviously. Like, we love the first one. Um, it's just interesting to actually get to see what else is there for Doc Brown besides his father-son kind of relationship with Marty. What else does he have going on in his life aside from Marty and the time machine? Now we're finally getting some answers to those questions, or maybe that that's something he always wanted. And that he eventually kind of has that character turn or or doesn't kind of he does where before it seemed like he was the one always in a panic about well we've got to travel again either in the future or in the past to fix this and he was you know constantly in a panic and now he's the one that decided he wanted to stay in the time he was in for the love of someone else and it's no longer just about fixing Marty's past or future. It's about what do I want my life to be like? And maybe it's not all going to be exactly just so. Well, and I guess as the song goes, you know, you don't want love to pass you by. Um, and, yeah. and so I think that's something that, you know, he I think you're absolutely right in in talking about the fact that, you know, this is not something I think he ever really thought of himself, you know, uh, experiencing or uh, having happened to him. And, you know, when that's the case, you don't necess- you don't know what you're missing. 
You don't know how it's going to affect you. And so the fact that, you know, it's finally happened to him, there's actually a whole other experience in life now that Doc Brown is having that is going to make him a better person, you know, because he has a fuller, richer understanding of all of human existence and not just this segmented part of it, which... You know, made it really interesting, you know, when he tells uh, Marty, and this is something that stood out to me when he was like, you know, I have to live my life according to what I believe is right in my heart. And I was just like, man, it sounds so good, but it's such terrible advice, even to yourself, because like, you you can't just follow your heart. And that's one of the things I think is interesting is that Marty kind of points out to Doc, it's like, you have more than a heart for a reason. You have your heart and your mind. Like, you're meant to put those two things together because if you're following just one, you're missing out, right? And Mm -hmm. so Doc has always lived with his mind, and now he's just living with his heart, and it's like there's always going to be something missing. And it's like, you know, hearts make us want to do things that aren't right all the time, you know? And so just saying (laughs) we should follow our hearts is really bad advice. Well, and then, too, he's kind of saying... You were always the one who told me, not me telling you, that we can't mess with the space-time continuum. Right. And now you're spitting in the face of that. (laughs) What happened to the rules? (laughs) Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Again, it's one of those things where um, you you see the reason why we don't just trust our hearts. Because their hearts make us want to do things that aren't necessarily the wisest thing to do. Uh, and mm-hmm. so absolutely that aren't logical <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly um you know speaking of of you know doc brown um how did you feel then his relationship with clara worked i thought it was pretty good i think there were some situations here and there where i, I wasn't necessarily sure the chemistry between the two actors that were in the scenes together i i think that maybe they could have had a different actress to play his love interest, but I've seen her in other things and she's fine. It just, sometimes it seemed a little clunky to me in particular, just the scene where um, he has to tell her goodbye on her porch and she turns him telling the truth into it's a way for him to try and take advantage of her. It just seemed a little weird to me and didn't quite feel genuine, but Aside from that, I think that the idea is very sweet. And I think that they had some, like I mentioned before, really great moments, like when they're bonding over things that, you know, two people that are the same kind of person in their soul would bond over. And, um, you know, I think that the chase scene at the end and the way that they wrap up his story is really sweet. So it's just that one or two little places that bothered me. I, I can totally understand what you're saying there. I think uh, Mary Steenburgen, you know, I've seen her in plenty of things. And of course, yeah, I think most people, uh, if, if if she's not come to mind, just think of the mom and elf. Like that's, that's who she is. Right. Um, <laughs> and um, I do feel like in this movie, there's a tendency for her to slightly overact her, her scenes. Um, and I think that is part of what I see in those, those parts, you know, it's like, I think if Mm -hmm. maybe she had just underplayed them a little bit more, they might've worked a little bit better because it might've felt a a little bit more realistic. Like it's coming from a real place instead of this kind of like hyper emotional, um, over the top area. And, um, I think that's the thing that kind of, uh, I think it works for the most part. I, I do think like you, there's just some scenes where it feels like a little bit too, like I know this movie is big and goofy and everything, but I think these emotional scenes like this needed to feel a little bit more real. And mm-hmm. I would say that the emotional scenes that say like you, we were talking about earlier where you have between Doc and, and Marty where they're having these confrontations about these big issues I think those feel great between those two actors. And part of that is because I think it's the, the scenes are being played with a slight more seriousness because of the serious nature of like, we've already seen what time travel can do and the, and the messes you can make. Um, And so I I think just those scenes between him and Clara would have really helped um, to have 
a little bit more of that grounding for that relationship. So maybe I felt even more about it than I do just as I watch it as it is. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. Because too, I'm kind of thinking of the dance scene even was just a little awkward. And I think that maybe it would have been better if she had toned it down a little bit. Maybe it it felt more like stage acting rather than film acting a couple of times. But I'm also not an actress. So (laughs) Mary, please don't kill me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and that makes me think of, uh, we didn't put on the outline, but just something I was thinking of as we were talking about acting, because we had kind of not Thomas Elf Wilson a little bit down uh, for the second movie. But, you know, I thought him playing Mad Dog here played off better and part of that i think is because he's playing very much into the character trope of the the evil western bad guy and Mm -hmm. uh, i think his portrayal of that came across on screen much better and part of that is because he's not playing biff or a version of a version of biff um and i think that helps uh you know Mm -hmm. to to kind of have him a little bit removed from that and so um but he's still got some of the same characteristics, which, you know, is is funny. So I I thought, you know, his, his job here uh, of playing Mad Dog, uh, it, it, it worked for the movie really well, and it turned out to be pretty funny. And I think the best part they do in here is they do not spend a ton of time with him as a character, because I think we spend enough time um, with that type of character in the second movie, and this movie is really more about Doc and and marty you know and and Mm -hmm. they're gonna be but yeah he definitely sold it i mean heck that's why i brought up mad dog when we started tonight was because he just i mean first of all the facial hair it's great love the fu manchu and uh you know he he actually as an actor made sure that he really did research on being the most accurate western star he could and actually learned how to do his own stunts and horseback ride for this movie so that was really cool and uh yeah i think you can see that authenticity now in this movie and i i do think it was a good idea like you said that they limited his character a little bit more but also just that he toned it down and didn't make it quite so goofy and over the top i think that it's really believable especially in the scenes where you know you think he's actually shot marty for a minute there or at the dance when he has to hand over his guns and his knife and then still finds a way to sneak another gun in there and he's only got one bullet you know he's so dedicated i feel like in this movie to really pulling off the villain that's believable in a western way yeah no, I think you're absolutely right, and uh, I'm glad that that's the case um, because I think it makes this this movie just work better in that sense. And I, I think, yeah. um, you know, something that we had mentioned uh, in in the the second part is when we were talking about you know Marty and his predilection for falling under the sway of people calling him chicken, um, which right. you know we I, we didn't necessarily think worked there. Um, in that movie, because it just felt like a little bit out of the blue, um, and not something that they, I feel like I was thinking about it this week and I felt like they could have set that up in the first movie itself by kind of having Marty be somebody who's picked on a little bit because he's not the tallest guy in his school and Mm -hmm. those kind of things. And so be uh, somebody who is seen as kind of wanting to prove himself in that area. And so kind of building that foundation for this whole thing. But, you know, I I love the fact that this becomes about making the right choices because, you know, uh, Marty does have to learn to not let other people dictate his actions in the sense that, you know, there are going to be those people in in this world who want to push our buttons specifically to, quote unquote, make us do something. And yet nobody can make us do anything. It is our choice how we react to them, no matter how awful they are. Um, And so that's the thing I think that I really liked about this movie because him kind of not learning to fight with people on their terms was really key. And then, like, his whole idea is like, why would I care what this, you know, a-hole thinks of me? 
Like that's that's a really mature place to go. So it was nice to see him grow and and them take that that part of the movie in part two that I didn't think worked as well and and really transform that into something that I think worked very well in this movie and it made it worth it then. Yes, I breathed such a sigh of relief when they decided to go that direction in the moment when he says, no, I'm not going to do that. This guy's a jerk. I was going, ah, yes. (laughs) Like, finally, like, I feel like the audience as a whole is going, yeah, just tell him that you're not going to play his game and that you've got better things to spend your time on and, you know, walk away instead of being prey to his trap. I mean, yeah, I think that that could be said for anything in life. Uh, there's things going on in our own lives right now where you know that there's people trying to bait you and you can just choose to be the bigger person and walk away. And I, I never got the whole chicken thing anyway, either. <laughs> so I I guess, too, maybe it was the choice of words. I feel like if someone was going to call me chicken nowadays, it would be more likely to be like, you're a loser or something like that instead of, what are you, chicken? <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. Um, yeah, apparently he just needed to take Ace of Base's advice and don't turn around. Um, exactly. But I, I think that's something that was really great about the way that they did it in this movie because because he doesn't respond on their terms, you know, what we see here is he's, he, he's then able to plan to keep himself alive. You know, he realizes mm-hmm. he can't beat him in a quick draw when he's thinking with his brain and not just his heart. And I think this is one of the things where the movie really shows you what the theme is, which is to use all the abilities that you've been given in, in your brain and your heart work together to, to, to help you make the right decisions. And the ones that, you know, obviously this whole movie is about the, the, the making the right choices because as we talked about last time, and the time before that is the consequences of those actions that make what your life is going to be in the future. Um, and mm-hmm. one small choice that you make could radically alter your future for the detriment of your future. Um, and we just don't necessarily think about that. So that's why I think this movie shows we have to be very careful in the types of situations that we get ourselves into and then the choices that we make in those situations. And so, you know, in the end, when he doesn't race needles, uh, you know, it's it's a win, um, which also <laughs> that's a, where Solo, when he's like, my pal needles, that's where that comes from. So it's a back to the future <laughs> reference. Um, so I like that. I, I think um, to me, it was it was another way in which two kind of gets redeemed or really helps that thematic element come out much stronger and and lead towards a really good end to the series and to the character arc for Marty so that, you know, in many ways, this storyline has been about Marty becoming a little bit more like Doc and Doc becoming a little bit more like Marty and both of them being better for it. 100%. And I, I hate to repeat myself, but yeah, I that was the biggest thing that I took away from it too. I really love when Doc says at the end, your future isn't written yet. Because it's like encompassing what you're saying with, you know, making the right choices and the mm-hmm. things that you do can affect your future. And also, it's sort of like this other quote I've heard that's like, it's your story, hit him with a plot twist whenever you want, you know, that your your future is not predetermined either. And I think that kind of turns their own story of Back to the Future on its head because previously they thought it was all predetermined and we've got to make sure it stays the same so that, you know, Marty would still exist and things like that in the future. But then also he's realizing some things that you do differently can make your life turn out better or worse than this possibility. There's a million different directions you could go and you don't have to feel like you're stuck in one. Well, and I mean, your history is is open, but it's also written by the choices you make now. And so, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's, you want to make the wisest decisions that you can make. And I think that's that's the that's what they're we're trying to get to in this movie to help all of us to see is that yeah, your your future can be as open as possible. Um, 
except for the decisions you make now. Uh, and so good or bad, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be about what you do now that makes that future happen. I think one of the things that I really appreciated about the movie was this kind of like look at history and by going back and getting to know, you know, Marty gets to know his parents and then he gets to know his great, great grandparents through this movie. Mm -hmm. He gets this opportunity that's really neat. And I think it shows the validity of, of not just knowing like history in general, but your own personal history. Like it is good for us to know where we come from, like what our families have been through years ago um, to kind of give us this sense of like, what is it that makes you who you are now? Like what has kind of been birthed into you from birth from all of the things that come from your family line, you know? And so getting that opportunity to see that through his parents and his great, great grandparents. And I think it gives Marty a greater appreciation for everything he has in his life. I mean, when you think when he just think about this, it's so neat when he gets to see the, where his grandparents came from, uh, his great, great grandparents came from, you know, they've, they've, they have their first son here as they came over to America and, um, they, they live in this small house. It's nice, but I mean, you know, it's the old West is this tiny little house, you know, and they're eking out a living here in America. And then he knows where he's going to go in the future. And like, you just see that progression of, of, of the way things, um, are, are continuing to get better for, him and his family but if you think about that they only do that if the right choices get made by the people in his family in each successive mm -hmm. generation and he has to be a part and link in that chain and so if you know where you've come from you can know better where you are and how how to make yourselves even better in the future and part of that is by learning uh, you know, from the past, you know, how to not make the same mistakes that maybe parents made or grandparents made or looking at the larger role of history, I think, and, and being able to see where people like yourself have made mistakes, you know, in the past and, and learning from those. And so I really love this idea of like the importance of of history in all of its senses to allow Marty as a character specifically to really be able to kind of blossom and grow into this person who is going to be much more successful in the future. Um, and it all starts with him getting back and deciding, no, I'm not going to race this guy. He's just a jerk. Who cares? Yeah. It, I think it's, it really meant a lot to me as well, especially since they were talking about the history of his family line and in particular with them being from Ireland. And actually that's where part of my mom's family is from. Uh, my grandmother was Irish and my grandfather was German and uh, it, they weren't the first generation born here, but not long before them. Um, so it, it also had that personal meaning to me of, Wow, I always loved looking back at those kind of things, too, and learning more about where my family came from. So, yeah, I think it's definitely another element that adds to making this movie so meaningful and authentic feeling because it's got these elements to it, like remember where you came from or learn about where you came from, and that can help you move forward. How did uh, this is one question that I had for you? Um, how did you end up feeling about uh, you know Michael Fox and and Leah Thompson playing the ancestors? Did that work for you? Uh, I thought I did notice it was a little weird having him playing the role that would have been given probably to Crispin Glover before, but I know they had to find another way around that again. So uh, I. I just kind of went with it. I saw what they did and, and I was like, okay, whatever. But I could understand how it might bother some people because it would be like, you know, he's playing his own great, great grandfather. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, th I thought he did a great job at an Irish accent and uh, looked actually adorable with the facial hair and the derby hat. Uh, and I thought Leah Thompson did a good job. She was, you know, more of a background character in this one, but I think that she kind of needed to be to have that growth for Doc and Marty. Yeah. So I think, you know, him playing the role of his great, great grandfather works fine. You know, it, it's one of those things where it's almost like, 
you know, uh, the looks you get come down from different generations in different ways, you know? Yeah. And so the fact that his great-great-grandfather look more like him, it's uh, like, okay, that works. Leah Thompson playing is totally not, I mean, she shouldn't be in this movie at all. I, I think it's ridiculous because there's no way that his great-great-grandmother would look anything like his mother. Mm, good point. Because she, this is the McFly family. She's not exactly. a McFly, you know? It would so, come from his father's side. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So having that in there really threw me off, and I get why they did it, because it's kind of funny, and of course she's able to kind of like wake him up the way he has in all the other movies. Yeah. But it just doesn't work logically whatsoever, and I think it's... It's a mistake that they made that they shouldn't have made. Uh, I know why they did it because they wanted to have Leah Thompson in the movie. Um, and I thought, I think they probably thought to themselves, oh, this will be kind of a cute um, wink, right? Um, but it's the wrong choice uh, because it doesn't mm-hmm. make any logical sense. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, it's not like it's awful or it's the worst idea ever. And they, sh- I mean, like it totally ruins the movie. But I just think, it ruins the what they're going for with the movie mm-hmm. to have this be his great great grandparents when there's no way at all that she would look anything like you know his mother. It just wouldn't be possible. So yeah, no, I'm with you on that. And yeah, I mean, like I said, I just kind of went along with what they were doing. I could tell what they were trying to do, and you know, all of the nods to the previous two, but. Yeah, I think that they could have made a better choice to make it make sense with genealogy. <laughs> One of the things that stood out to me, too, is the fact that this is a Western, and I really liked how, with the music, that Sylvester turned a lot of the themes and gave them that Western slant, and then just straight up did some fun Western-style music, and in the sense of hearkening back to all of those, you know, great Westerns that we grew up with, with John Wayne and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, uh, what a fun way to, um, you know, end the series musically, uh, because the first movie had been so strong musically. Um, and of course, you're not going to have as many pop songs in the movie. But um, we do have ZZ Top show up at the party, uh, which is fun. Uh, and they, yeah. they they wrote that song that they play, um, which is, is fantastic, you know. So um, – I thought, you know, again, this is one of those places where Sylvestri just kind of knocks it out of the park and it's so much fun. Well, and he actually apparently won a Saturn Award for Best Music for this one. So uh, it, I think that obviously it spoke to a lot of people for that reason. But then, too, I think for one, it was great that they made the decision to have the same person work on all three, which I mean, we knew originally two and three were going to be one movie. So I guess we could say both movies instead of all three. (laughs) But um, yeah, you can really tell that he not only takes the themes that they originally came up with for Back to the Future, but also melding it well with Western style music to give you that old west feeling and then also to liven it up like you know especially in the scene where he makes marty dance and then he actually starts dancing uh or you know the train chase at the end i think that it was really something that i i don't always notice as much but here for sure it was incredible and totally wouldn't have been the same without it yeah no i i definitely agree with you so you know i i question before we kind of get to uh, you know, our ratings, but, you know, how do you feel like then this, you know, every every trilogy of the 80s, you know, um, whether it was for a while, you know, obviously Indiana Jones was a trilogy or Star Wars was a trilogy. And, you know, so wrapping up a trilogy is is never easy or, gosh, even like uh, Godfather uh, parts one, two and three. So uh, how does this wrap up this trilogy for you? I think that they wrapped it up in a really nice way with getting to have Doc come back briefly and let Marty know he's okay. You know, they don't just leave it on that note of Marty always wondering if Doc made it and got to live out his dream with the woman he loved or not. I think too, you know, it could have been a little bit less weird if they found a different way to handle the train taking off (laughs) 
that kind of took me out of it a little bit. But I got what they were doing. And I, and I kind of give them a break because, you know, originally when they made the first Back to the Future movie, they didn't know that they were going to be making more. So then they're going, oh, great. So we are going to come back and make more. And then they're probably unsure how to wrap it up. So I, like I said, I kind of give them slack for that. But I think overall, it's a really warm and fuzzy feeling that you walk away with. And that's what I would have wanted. Yeah, no, I I mean, for the most part, I think I really agree with you. Um, I, I think that the, I would say the one, the movie, I don't think it needed to bring Doc back. I think it's a little over silly. Um, part of the whole reasons, you know, he goes back to the future or back to the past uh, is the fact that, um, you know, uh, Doc can't fix the time machine back then, you know? Right. And then for all of a sudden for him to just kind of be able to build a locomotive time machine seems a little bit silly. And, and I mean, I guess you can rationalize that, that his experience with the train made him, you know, think of things in a new way or whatever. But it does seem like a little bit silly. Uh, and mm-hmm. it kind of puts it uh, to, it kind of makes you think that question of like, wait, if he could do that the whole time, like, why did we have to go and have this whole adventure anyway? So um, I think it would have been a little bit stronger for me if Doc had not come back and Marty just looked him up, basically, um, and knew that he was happy and healthy and all of those things. Um, and that you could yeah. have had the grandfather paradox where he was his own grandfather in the end. So like the Doc Brown that he knew was the great-great-grandson of the Doc Brown that, you know. Um, so that would have been, I think, maybe even a little bit funnier and a little bit more clever um, if we're going to play with time travel. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the whole question, can you be your own great-grandfather? Um, so... Uh, that something like that, I think it would have been a little bit funny. But in the end, I think, you know, I come away from this much more satisfied than obviously than I did the second movie. And I think it makes the second movie better, as we talked about thematically. Uh, and I think it's a lot more fun. Um, and it's just a rip roaring good adventure. And it's actually, you know, like Back to the Future is a movie you can watch on its own. And I think, I feel like this one is a movie I can just watch on its own. Two feels like I need to watch three to make it feel legitimate for watching you know like because it just Mm -hmm. it needs that ending whereas three almost felt like i didn't necessarily have to have two at all i just need a few bits and pieces from two otherwise i can just enjoy this one for what it is um and i think that's great and i so yeah i i'm as it wrapping up the trilogy and the last back to the future movie we'll ever get i'm very satisfied with that and so I, i guess that all comes down to then christy what you'd rate back to the future three So I thought long and hard about it, and I have to go a little bit in between ratings here, and I would give it a four and a half out of five uh, one bullet pistols, (laughs) because that gun was just so darn cute. Uh, Because it's just got so many really nice things about it that warm my heart and make me glad that we're getting this good of a wrap up to everything. Um, And also still wishing that someday we could have more, but you know, that's where I guess I start writing my own headcanon. Um, So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. This was actually my first viewing ever of part three. So uh, I think that it was awesome. Yeah. I I think for me, um, I would say, I think on letterbox, I gave this four out of five stars, but it would truly be more like 3.75 out of five. Oh, okay. Partly because I gave the first movie four and this doesn't deserve four compared to that. If so, I'm just comparing Mm -hmm. for the trilogy itself. Um, okay. But to me, this is almost as good as the first one in the sense that I enjoy watching it as much as I do the first one. So, uh, there are just a few more things where I kind of have a, a little bit more of an issue here or there. But on a whole, I think it's a great, like I said, wrap up to the trilogy. And I really, um, had a blast watching it again. It had been a long time. And I honestly was surprised when Doc Brown came back because I totally forgot, you know, um, because that's how long it's been since I'd seen this. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good trilogy then. I think, you know, to like two out of the three movies in any trilogy is a good deal. 
especially when so many trilogies yeah. went completely south when you consider like oh gosh uh you know <laughs> jaws movies and rambo movies and all those kind of things and rocky movies and you know like mm-hmm. you just kept going and going and going superman movies <laughs> so um <laughs> superman 3 is not good um anyway that's a whole other story <laughs> but uh be- christy before i diverge into that uh it's time for some recommendations for the week and so what are you going to be recommending to everyone oh that's tough um i i toyed with the idea of do i need to recommend a western this time because we're talking about a western but i mean then it's just really unfair because how do you pick your favorite western i think most of them are pretty good so i'm just not gonna do it uh i'm gonna say i love most westerns i've seen so i'm actually gonna throw out a wild card here and go with uh something that I was reminded of recently that I haven't watched in a long time and I really love. And that's a movie with Kevin Costner called Dragonfly. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, but actually, um, it's a story about a guy who, um, it's not a real story or anything like that, but just a really interesting movie about a guy whose wife, um, is on a mission trip and gets lost. And so he still believes she's out there somewhere and is on a mission to find her in the jungle, I think in um, Africa somewhere. And so it's just a really interesting story about him kind of going on this journey of like having the faith that she's still alive and he's going to find her and um, also never having been in a foreign country before, much less the jungle. Um, and that dragonflies are her favorite animal or insect or whatever and so he keeps seeing signs that you know um he'll see dragonflies everywhere and so it just every time i see a dragonfly now i'm reminded fondly of that movie and i highly recommend it nice nice yeah that's one i've not seen so i'll have to check that out um for me i'm going to recommend something that my wife and i just finished on netflix and it is the queen's gambit and if you haven't Mm. seen the queen's gambit it is amazing it is so, so good. It is a limited series, so it's just one season. It's seven episodes. It's based off a book. I've not read the book, but this is a phenomenal series. Anna Taylor-Joy, who's been in a lot of things recently, um, most recently was um, in New Mutants that had just came out, which, not a great movie, but she was in it. Um, it she's so good in this. Uh, it's a, It's about a uh, young girl who is a chess prodigy. Um, and she makes her way yeah. through uh, the world of, of chess and isolation. Um, and so it's just so well done. It's so well acted. It's just, I mean, we ate it up. So I can't, I mean, if you're looking for something to watch over the holiday season, you know, you want a few episodes uh, here and there uh, to be able to watch. Honestly, it's something that you could probably you could at <laughs> the holiday season when you have some days off, you could probably binge the whole thing in one day just because you want to keep going. But yeah, I highly recommend the queen's gambit. So uh, Christy, if people want to catch up with you though, and see what you've got going on, uh, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at best Ben bell. And I am also on Facebook on occasion, popping in the Babel conference. And then when I'm not here on 602 club with Matt, I do another show with my friend, Teresa Delgado called sabers and spells, where we've talked about stranger things and my little pony and star Wars. And who knows where we'll go next. Maybe uh, we'll do next season of stranger things. Maybe we'll talk about the witcher. I'm campaigning for the witcher. Just have FYI. Uh, so please follow us there as well. And you uh, can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, uh, under the name MattRushing02. Uh, pretty much any social media platform in the end uh, where I, I, you could possibly find me. Just search for MattRushing02. I might be there. Uh, you can also find me here on the network doing Literary Treks as well as The Orb. Uh, Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And then The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network. I do two shows. One is called Owl Post with Drea Kaufman. Uh, we're doing the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. And I think we've got 15 episodes left now. So it's getting close. Uh, you can also find me doing aggressive negotiations with John Mills. As every week we are talking about a really fun 
Star Wars topic this week. It's Thanks Gungan, where we talk about all of the things that we are thankful for in the Star Wars universe uh, and what's been happening in Star Wars universe. So, yes, so exciting. Um, so check that out. But, Christy, um, we want to just thank everybody for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.